At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks, you know that this is our fourth and final installment in the Mission Fund series, a series that is walking through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Throughout 2023, we've been looking at the book of 2 Corinthians and seeing how Jesus is inviting us to come on mission with him and to proclaim everywhere a knowledge of him. He has prepared us for this mission. He has briefed us on this mission. He invites us to endure on this mission. And also we can participate in this mission through the giving of finances. And we've seen that most recently in what he says in chapters 8 and 9. Now what we've seen so far in this series is that we are challenged to give sacrificially, to give like Jesus gave, give like the giver. We're to not just have a desire to give, but to plan to act on that desire. To help and have generosity towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And also that there should be a trust between how the funds are given and then ultimately how they are used. A trust between churches and missionaries and the congregation. And so we've, we've seen this over previous weeks. And today we're going to conclude our series by looking at one final installment, looking at the last several verses of chapter 9. But before we get to that point, I want to just ask a question. And that question is revolving around money. When you think of using money, what are some of the big categories that we can spend money on? What are some of the things that we can use money Towards. Well, there are a lot of specifics, but I think we could boil it down into two big categories. One of those categories is we can spend it. And the second category is that we can invest it. When I say spend it, it means that we take the money that we have and we put it towards something that we either need or want. We get food. We, we have a place to live. We pay for insurance. Uh, we pay for schooling or, or clothing or supplies. But when we do those things, we take money that we have, we put it towards something else, and, and then that money is gone forever. That's what happens when we spend it. A second category is the category of investing, where we take some of the money that we have and we put it in a savings account so that it might draw interest. We put it in a CD or in a mutual fund, or we invest in a company through a stock with the hope that those dollars might multiply. In the sense of an investment, we don't take our money and we give it away never to see it again, but we take our money and we put it in something and we hope that money comes back to us with many more of its friends. Right? So that is an investment. So in those two general categories, we have two ways that we can use money. Either we can spend it or we can invest it. Now, with those categories laid out, let me ask you the question. How do you view giving? How do you view giving towards Christ's work? How do you view giving towards a missionary? How do you view giving towards a mission trip? How do you view giving to the ministry of a local church or some other Christian organization? Do you view it more as money that is spent? We just throw it into a bucket and it's gone forever. Or do you view it more as an investment? You're placing it into something with the hope of some kind of a return. 
Well, friends, when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, what we see is the Apostle Paul talking about giving as an investment, as something that leads to a return. And it's something that is a perspective that is important for us to have as we consider the generosity that God would want to work through each of us. This morning, we're going to see this laid out for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. So if you've got a Bible, take it and turn to 2 Corinthians 9. I want to read these verses for us, and then after reading them, we'll back up. I'll make a couple of final observations from this section to help connect it to our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Friends, in these verses, I want us to see two things today. What's the first? The first thing I want us to see is this. Giving is sowing. Giving is sowing. When Paul begins writing in verse 6, he is laying out an analogy for us of giving, and he's connecting it to agriculture, something that would have been understood by the original audience and even still understood, at least in principle, by us today. What does he say? He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. In agriculture, it would go something like this. The person that puts only one seed in the ground can only expect one crop in return. Best case. But the person who scatters seed broadly over a field can have a much greater expectation of something coming back in return. In the same way, what Paul is saying here is he's saying that that we should scatter generously the resources that God has entrusted to us with the hope that they might spring forth with an amazing return from the Lord. We should give generously, plant many seeds with the hope of God working. Now, this principle is not something original to Paul. It actually is something that Jesus talked about. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
Jesus talked about the, the gifts that we give, the generosity that we extend, that it is an investment that brings something back in return. And Paul picks up on that idea, encouraging us to scatter seed generously with the hope of a harvest. So, what is it that God returns? What is it that is multiplied as we give? We see in verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. So, what is the seed that is multiplied? Well, we see in verse 11 that it's something that is multiplied in every way. In other words, this return is multifaceted. We see this when he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So what is it that God is multiplying as we scatter the seed of generosity? Well, a few things are mentioned. The first thing that is multiplied is good works. The first thing that is multiplied is good works. God gives us these resources so that we might use them to do his good work. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How many of you would love for your life to be known for good works? Your life to, to have a positive impact in the world and about the most important things. Paul here talks about if, if we invest financially in what the Lord is doing, it's another opportunity for good works to be done around us. God has given us this grace so that good works might increase and abound. When we invest the resources he has given us, good works come back in return. A second thing that we see is that it leads to a harvest of righteousness. This is a, a similar principle, but we see this in verses 9 and 10 as the Apostle Paul here is quoting Psalm 112. In Psalm 112 it says, He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. This here is talking about the one who is generous, the one who helps those in need. Their lives become known for righteousness. Again, do we want our lives to be known for righteousness? I believe that we do. Generosity is a part of that. It says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, when we are, are generous financially, it's another way for God's goodness, God's righteousness, his blessing to be known and felt and experienced, not only by you, but by those around you. It's an opportunity for that. A third thought, though, is that it actually is talking a bit about material provision as well. We see this in verses 10 and 11. What is multiplied? Well, it's maybe even a little bit material provision. He says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Seems like God is even able to bless and provide for us even as we give. But what's interesting here is that what happens when God blesses us with more? Is it more for me? No, it's more opportunity to be even more generous in the future. 
You see, when we invest the resources that God has given to us, when we scatter those seeds, what comes back to us is good works and righteousness and even additional provision and opportunity to be generous. Now, with this idea, especially this idea of giving and material provision in return, we we need to have a word of caution, don't we? Because we all are aware in our world today of people who have taken this idea from 2 Corinthians 9 and tried to twist it and manipulate it. And the idea is something like this. Give God your $100 to this television evangelist and God will give you back a BMW. Give God your $1,000 and he will give you the mansion. Give God your $10,000 and get ready to be a millionaire. See, there is a a twisting of this principle. And and at the core of that is a broken way of thinking. And the broken way of thinking is this. It's that if I give, then I've already given God his part. And whatever comes back is all for me. That's not the way it is designed. That's not what 2 Corinthians 9 says. The big idea is actually not that the rich are rich in material things, but that they would be rich in generosity and good deeds. So that whatever God blesses us with, that just gives us even more opportunities to be generous towards his work. And this leads us to this idea that giving is not just throwing seed away, it's throwing seed in rich soil to reap a wonderful harvest of righteousness and good deeds and God's work and him being glorified. Friends, The resources that we extend, the generosity that we show are like seeds planted and there can be an expectation of a return coming, return of God's work. Now, what's interesting is what we see in verse 7. Verse 7 is maybe one of the most famous verses in all of 2 Corinthians. It says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you have heard this verse before? Yeah, many of you, right? If you haven't, you just heard it again, right? So we, we, are, we are familiar with this verse. And this is a, a wonderful verse. But what this verse talks about is it talks about our attitude as we give. Our attitude as we give. And if... We think of our gifts, our financial gifts are like seeds that are cast. And our attitude in this verse is kind of like the fertilizer around those seeds. If we want those seeds to grow, then our attitude as we give matters. That we would not give reluctantly or under compulsion, but we would give with a cheerful heart. Warren Wiersbe has looked at this verse and correctly, I think, summarized three motivations that we might have for giving. And I want us to use these three words to kind of help us evaluate how and why we might give. The first word is the word sad. One reason why we might give is because we have been made to feel bad about our lives in some way. We, we just feel, we feel guilty. And so we are guilted into giving. That's one of the motivations that we have is we've been made to feel sad. A second kind of motivation is we give because we're mad. We we are under compulsion in some way. Someone has told us that we have to give, and so we write the check, but we do so with gritted teeth. A third possibility, though, is that we give because we are glad. 
We give because we're glad. We give because we recognize and remember who Jesus Christ is and all that he has done for us. And because of that, we, we are excited for the opportunity to participate financially in his mission in the world. It's one of the greatest opportunities that we have. It is the greatest opportunity that we have. And so we give with a gladness about us. Let me ask you, friends, what is your motivation for giving? Do you give because you're sad? Do you give because you're mad? Or do you give because you're glad? Well, with these ideas in mind, let's look at what Paul Barnett says. He says, what are my motives for donating money for Christian purposes? Am I seeking to relieve my guilt? Is it a payoff to avoid some avenues of Christian service that I'm unwilling to fulfill? Is it to be thought super spiritual by those who notice how much I contribute? Various faulty motives may inspire us to give generously, but only a real appreciation of God's grace to us can prompt us to give cheerfully. Are we mad? Are we glad? Or are we sad? I think that when we remember the gospel, it is a gladness and the opportunity to participate in the work of the Lord. And so... Let's think about this excitement for giving and connect it a little deeper in our lives. First thing I would say is this. Have you aligned your heart first? You know, when you give, do you think about why you're giving? Did you fertilize the gift by, by meditating on why you are giving this offering? I think that the passage would indicate that we should do that first and then our address our offering, and then our offering follows. You know, in our day and age uh, today, uh, there's a a wonderful thing that you can give an an online recurring gift. And and with that, the gift just comes out every month, whether you've thought about it or not. You've set it up, and it just goes, and then then it's gone, right? But what I would challenge you to do is on a monthly basis— or a bi-weekly basis, or however often that recurring gift is set up, that you might take a moment and remember why you're giving that offering. We're giving this offering because Jesus has been so generous to us. He has saved us, he has provided for us, and it is an honor and a privilege to be on mission with him in this world. Therefore, I freely and joyously participate in giving this offering. See, if we don't take the time to align our hearts first, then ultimately we might end up mad or sad about that offering that we're giving and not glad. Align your heart and then address your offering. Second thing that I would encourage you to do is is just to invest because it is a sure thing. What, What investment can you make today that is a sure thing? Now, you might say, well, the, the stock market seems to be going up. Yes, but guess what, go, what goes up also comes down. And so there is no such thing as a sure thing in the stock market, whatever the blue chip stock that you're looking at. There's no such thing as a guarantee on return in any capacity except when we give to the work of the Lord. Jesus said that when we give, we are laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven. When we give joyously, he is honored. And his work is accomplished. That's not to say that every dollar we give will lead to X amount of salvations or someone's life being radically transformed in a way that we can see. 
But it is a reminder that our gifts that we give are used by God for his purposes. And one of those purposes, we'll see in just a moment, is bringing honor and glory to himself. We should be encouraged to invest in the work of the Lord because it is, in fact, something, seed that is sown, that leads to a harvest of righteousness. And the third thing that I would suggest is this. A little phrase that maybe you could say to yourself every time some unexpected resources come your way. And that little phrase is this. All that comes from thee is not for me. All that comes from thee is not for me. You see, the idea that we have in our world is I'll give God a little bit up front and then whatever else comes is all for me. But in these verses, we've already seen that One of the ways that God blesses us is by extending more provisions in our direction that we might manage them, but he wants us to continue to manage them with this idea towards generosity. Could it be that God is blessing us with more resources so that we have more opportunity to be generous to his work and to others? If we have this little phrase at the tip of our tongue, when we get that bonus or that surprise that will have a different category, not just what can I do for me, but also how would God have me use this in his work? See, what we've seen in these verses is that giving is sowing. There's a second thing that we need to see, not just that giving is sowing, but also that giving is worship. Giving is worship. And this is something that comes very clear in the the second half of the verses that I, I read earlier. It comes clear in a very beautiful way. Now, how is giving worship? Well, first of all, we need to have a foundation. And that foundation comes from verses like 2 Corinthians 9, 8, where it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What this verse is reminding us of, and this is a theme throughout the scripture, is that, that whatever we have is a gift from God. God is the one who has given us whatever material resources we have. God is the one who has given us the time that we have. God is the one who has given us the gifts that we have. And so when we think about the fact that God has given us everything, then, then really it makes sense for us to take the things that he has given and use them as he would want them to be used. We see that come clear in these verses. And so what follows then is how is worship connected to giving? And Paul, using the, the incident of the gift from the Corinthian Christians to the poor and persecuted Christians in Jerusalem, that gift, that incident we've been talking about all month, is used by Paul to highlight how giving can lead to worship. So what does he say about it? Well, the first thing that we see is found in verses 11 and 12, and that's this. When needs are met by the body, God is thanked by the body. So giving leads to God being thanked. How? Well, remember, the the Corinthians took up an offering, and they sent it with Paul and a few others to deliver to the, the suffering Christians in Jerusalem so that their needs might be met. And when their needs were met by these Christians that they had never met, who received the thanks? Who received the praise? 
God did. That's what he says in verses 11 and 12. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. The gift that was given led to God being thanked. This was something that was important for them to be reminded of. But friends, it's also something that's important for us to be reminded of as well. You know, a number of years ago, Wildwood took up a collection of offerings to build a children's building that sits right behind me. Those offerings were used to, to build a facility where, where every week, multiple times of the week, the gospel is proclaimed in, in, a, in, a, in a winsome and beautiful way to children. And they are invited to follow Jesus as their Savior and to follow him as their Lord. Now, when, when families bring their children to this building and they, they, they have these, these lessons taught and their kids are connected and they have friends, you know who they ultimately thank for that? Not the people who gave. They don't know who you are. You know if you contributed to that. But they don't know who you are. Who do they thank? They thank God. God, thank you for providing a place where our kids can learn about you. Thank you for providing this opportunity for them to grow in their relationship with you. God is thanked on the other side of our gifts. Think about the, the offerings that you have given towards some of our, our missionary partners, the ones that we've collected and distributed as a church, but I also know that many of you in this room are contributing individually to different missionaries. One of our missionaries is right here, by the way. Matt Leonard is with us this morning. I just have to give you a shout out, man. So good to see you from all the way from Japan, the longest commute today uh, for, for our worship service. But the offerings that are given there, you know, when, when lives are touched in another country, when people are reached, they won't turn and thank you. They don't know you. Who will they thank appropriately? They will thank God. They will give praise to him for his work in their lives on the other side of your gifts. Friends, our gifts lead to the worship of God. God is thanked when needs are met. And there are so many other applications of that. But it's important for us to hear that and remember that today. Second aspect of worship has to do with generosity, glory, and the gospel. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Who's the they? The Jerusalem Christians who received this gift. What will happen with them? Not only will they thank God, but they will glory in him. They, it will lead to worship and praise of him. They will glorify God because of your submission, Corinthians, that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. What, what Paul is saying here is he says that the generosity that they are showing is really an expression, a demonstration of the gospel that they have believed. Because Jesus was generous to them, and they are trusting in Christ, and they know that this message is not just for them, and they know that the body is large and wide. They are giving their resources so that the gospel might go forward. And so the gospel is demonstrated and revealed through their actions, through their generosity. And that leads to God being praised. You realize that when you give, and you give from a cheerful heart, you actually are expressing the gospel in your gift? An expression that says, 
Everything I have is yours. Everything is from you. And you have given gracious to me, Lord. So now we give back to you and to your work. It's an expression of the gospel that we believe. It honors the God that we serve and we follow. And it receive, God receives glory and honor as a result. But a third thing that we see of how our giving leads to worship is that our gifts demonstrate unity in the body. They demonstrate unity in the body. Again, we look at verse 14. It says, while they long for you and pray for you. Who is the they? The they is the Jerusalem Christians who were poor and persecuted. They will long, they'll have a desire for, and they will pray for you. Who's the you? The Corinthian believers. Now let's just think about this for a moment. The, the Jerusalem Christians were of what background? They were Jewish primarily. The Corinthian church is primarily Gentile. Now, that may not mean much to us, but that meant a whole lot to them. It was a big division. But Paul saw in this gift an opportunity for the unity of the church to be expressed. That Jesus, through his work on the cross, was creating not two churches, but one. And all who trusted in him would be united in one body together. Now, Paul had this explicitly in mind. And we know this because in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 to 27 or so... He he talks about his desire that this gift that was given might be a demonstration of the unity between the Jewish and the Gentile church. Now, is unity in the church a big deal? Let me ask you, is it a big deal to Jesus? Absolutely it is. When Jesus was praying for his followers and the night before he went to the cross in John 17, what does he explicitly pray for? That we would be one, just as he and the Father are one. So we also might be one. This was on the heart of Jesus from the very beginning. And when we demonstrate the unity that comes through our gifts, then Jesus is worshipped. He is glorified. He is honored in those demonstrations of unity. You know, when we take up an offering here and we send it to some work on a foreign field, whether that be in Latvia or Brazil or Spain or wherever it might be, it's a show of solidarity in the body of Christ that is not separated into language barriers or countries or nationalities or ethnicities. But it's a reminder that there is unity within the body. The opportunity there is our opportunity. That's why we mobilize missionaries. That's why we send funds. And when we think about the ministry of the church, which is far and wide in our community, thanks to college students and adults and children, when we give our offerings and they're distributed across these ministries, you know what it does? It unifies us as a church. It's a way for us to say that all of these things are significant, important things here and things around the world. It's a way for us to honor and to worship God through the unity that comes through an offering. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Friends, that our offerings might lead to the worship that comes on the other side of expressed unity inside of the church. 
But a fourth idea here is that our generosity reflects his generosity. Our generosity reflects his generosity. When we are generous, when we give, it reminds us of the giver. We see this in verse 15. Paul just celebrates, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Reminds us of what he said back in chapter 8. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, when we give, we are reflecting his generosity. When we give of a cheerful heart, we are reflecting his grace to the world around us. And that is an act of worship. So, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? Well, I want to begin by just asking a simple question. Um, It's it's a leading question because I think I know the answer to it. I mean, it's 945 and y'all are in church on Sunday on a beautiful summer day. I think I know how you would answer this, but let me ask it anyway. Do you want to honor God and inspire others to worship him? I mean, do you want your life to be about those things? I think the answer is yes, right? It is. It's a yes. The Spirit is at work in our hearts. We long for this. We long to worship God. We long to have our lives influence others to worship Him as well. Well, we're reminded in this passage that giving is a way for us to do that. Giving's a way for us to do that. When we give financially, we are able to worship God and provide opportunities for others to worship Him as well. So when we talk about giving, we have these boxes by the doors. We have a website where you can give. We really are just setting out an opportunity before you to do what I know that you want to do. Giving is one of the ways that we worship God, one of the ways that we help others to worship him as well. But an additional thought is that we can help proclaim the gospel around the world through our mission fund program. Now, all month long, we've been talking about this, how through your generosity over the last year, we've been able to set aside some additional funds already collected that we want to mobilize towards some different mission projects. We've identified through our global outreach efforts uh, five different projects, evangelism with the Jesus Film in Brazil, relief efforts with Samaritan's Purse, Bible translation with Wycliffe in Indonesia, church planting with David Robles in Spain, and leadership training with a large seminary in the Middle East, helping to train pastors. Um, Friends, we have all of these opportunities in front of us, and we think they're all great, but we want your help in understanding how you would like for us to distribute the funds that we've already collected that we are ready to send forward. All month long, we've been talking about how you can go to our website, wildwoodchurch.org slash fund, and vote for the projects that you would like to see invested in the most. You can also do so on uh, in your bulletin. There's a little handout. You can take that out, fill it out. Think of it like 100 points, 100%. How would you like them distributed across these five projects? And then next Sunday, we'll be able to announce and celebrate together as a church family the funds that are being given to these projects. Uh, but I, I share all of this here because it's just a reminder in connection to this verse that, that, that really we are proclaiming the gospel through the sending of these gifts. That we believe that people need Christ and that he can meet their needs in a way that no one else can. And so we are sending these resources for the proclamation of the gospel and the building of the church worldwide. Friends, Giving is worship. 
giving and sowing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word and study it together today. Thank you for the hope of the gospel that we have seen here. Lord, may we be a people who faithfully live out just the the descriptions here, that we would worship you with the handling of the resources that you've extended to us. And that, Lord, you would use the offerings that are given in this place to lead to more worship of you. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of of partnering together as a church to reach this community and and to proclaim the truth of the gospel among the nations. May you continue to give us more and more opportunities to do that. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.